everybody. This is Issa Cosette, and you are listening to Issa's Way, your favorite podcast that you didn't know existed, you didn't know you needed, but we're so glad you're here. And this week, we have a very special guest coming live from Trinidad and Tobago, the Shavani Ramlochan. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, Issa. It's so exciting to, first of all, connect with you in the workshop that we did together and then to have this chance to speak to you i'm really looking forward to it me too for those who don't know this author writer blogger poet creative magical word woman like what else i don't know the words i don't have the words but i know that she does because you're just so powerful with it so amazing with it um your book everyone knows i am a haunting i was able to get it this summer and i actually listened to um amika to read your poem during this um mental health thing over the break which was nice as he read all the dead all the living i was like i need that book <laughs> I need that book. But now that I know, and everyone knows that she's more than a haunting, she is magical. So once again, I thought it would be important for you to come here and share your story of how you're on your way and your journey as a writer. Wow. I think that is hands down one of the best introductions I've ever received. So thank you so much for that. I try, I try. You know, let's just get into it. The main thing that I think about is like my limits is I don't feel that I'm there yet that I have this control over my words. Like I'm always kind of stuttering, looking for the right thing to say. But I feel like you have this great command of words and getting still like you're open about the unknowns of the writing process. Um, what tools have you discovered work best for you to help coming into your knowing in your writing? First of all, I think that's a great question. And I really believe that without the words of other writers and poets in general, but in particular, Caribbean writers and poets, I, my way would be very unclear to me. I, long before I had any conception that I would write a book, I knew that I would always be reading and of course, I, I think people must be slightly tired of me by now crediting my mother for that, but I will always credit my mother. You know, that's their business. They can be tired of it. But it's the truth that um, I grew up surrounded by books and surrounded by a deep appreciation that the books that we grew up with were not just a means to an end of an education, of learning in a very rude way, but that these books, these instruments were vital to the human imagination, the, the boundlessness of the human heart, and that they would be solace and refuge when things would invariably get messed up and difficult. And so my grounding has been in that, in books written by other people, and now particularly Caribbean people, or those in the Caribbean diaspora, as well as people of color and people who are underserved in one way or another whether they are the incarcerated, the non-binary, those at risk. So essentially, writing that doesn't come from the fount of white, male, cisgendered people of privilege, which is not to say they can't write good books, but we have always known that they can, and they have always known that they can. So they, they don't need my, my attention in the same way, and I don't have it for them anymore. But that's how I come 
to and come through my knowing. And the more I read, the more I know that all of my seeking to express myself, as you say, trying to find the right words in the right place in, in everyday living, as in the page and the poems will always be imperfect. And that I'm, I'm constantly obsessed with and thinking of this idea of striving towards something, uh, striving without ever knowing if I will find it in the language, but knowing that if I will find it, it will be in that language that we all make for ourselves in these islands. And I think that's, that's where the root of it is, truly. So grounded, so like solid in your knowing, especially the space and the place of where you're coming, your experiences. And that, of course, happens because you are being well-read. And, and also for me, who I've left the mainland, to be able to realize other texts, right? Because for me, growing up in the States, even though I'm Liberian, I didn't feel like I belong and I didn't care about what I was reading. But once I came to the Caribbean, I started reading more, like especially Afro-Caribbean texts. I'm like, home, right? This grounds me, this roots me, this helps me know what or who I am and where I'm going and especially where I come from. How do you know, right, when your truth has fulfilled its purpose in its poem? I think I will be completely honest and say that when, certainly at, at the level of writing, everyone knows I'm a haunting. And I look at that book now as a product that took roughly five years to complete, but in some cases much longer than that for individual poems. Like some poems in the making of Haunting stretched over a decade and changed dramatically within that time before, because of course, I never thought they would actually see the light of publication. I was working under the misguided assumption that what I was writing was too unorthodox, too strange, too pagan, too queer, and no one would really want to publish it. And it took it took meeting Jeremy Pointing, the founder and managing editor of People Tree Press, and having a couple conversations with him for me to accept that my work could have a place in traditional publishing, which is a whole other story. But to, to more properly answer your question, I think, first of all, back to being slightly more honest, that I didn't know that equation so well for that first book all the time. A lot of it was just putting what felt like my raw heart on the page and hoping that it would connect with someone. Now that I have some distance from that book, I think I realize that I've given a poem as a unit of expression everything I can when I am either completely exhausted by it or slightly terrified of it. And I think that's to do with the kind of thing or things that I write about and try to write into. So if I know I'm writing a piece and I write quite a lot um, about sexual assault and surviving that, that feels in any way like I haven't committed to exploring every corridor and alley and underside and a vulnerable area of it, then I know I haven't done the work, even if the poem sounds quote unquote good, right? Even if it sounds supposedly impressive, then I know I haven't committed myself fully to an exploration of what the heart of the poem is trying to say, what its marrow 
is invested in, you know, its liver, its viscera, all of the, the supposedly unpalatable parts of the human body. That's, that anatomy of the poem is similar. Like it might look pretty on the outside, but if it's viscera and it's, it's dark matter and not doing what they need to, then I know I have to go back to the drawing board and sometimes strip the poem completely back down to its base elements and try to understand myself through it, try to understand who I'm speaking to through it. And now at, at this stage, after the arrival of my first book, I realize I take more time intentionally with the work from a craft perspective to make those things happen. We can't always talk about the sunshine and not mention the rain, right? So in what ways has your darkness prepared you to live in light in the way how you were talking about not feeling like your work was accepted as a like queer writer? The fact of one being in a Caribbean place, but also all of our experiences have made and shaped us in any way, whether we felt accepted or not. So in what way has your darkness prepared you to live in the light? I mean, some people... A lot of people actually have told me that it's very difficult for them to read Haunting from cover to cover. So, so they say that the experience with that book is that they, they're compelled by it, which I'm very humbled by, but that they need to take their time with it and read it. Maybe for some people, it's been a poem a day. For some people, I think in particular, the Red Thread Cycle, I think, is the place in the book that gives people the most pause. And I have come to really understand that as much as I can as the person who's written it. But it, respecting the poems, uh, both in, in that book and the poems that have come since, almost like their own entities, slightly divorced from me, though they come through me, has allowed me to say what I need to through them much better. Because there was this, this idea that you own in a really possessive and jealously the things that you create and while I know that the work is mine <laughs> and I made it and perhaps no one could have made it like me I also accept that there have been times when I feel as though I'm an instrument for something that is much greater than me uh, I don't know if it's divine or ancestral or spiritual or a combination of all those things but the truth is the work demands certain things and I have had to answer. And that's when I know that my commitment to what I'm doing goes far beyond myself and my own ego and my hubris and my pride, all of which are, are vital things to human, human expression and human living. But, but when it's in the service of the work and I can really commit to it, and I say that what I'm trying to say here on paper is much bigger than myself. And it can involve speaking for my ancestry, my bloodline, particularly the matrilineal forces in my life who've led me consciously or not to this place, to, the, to this place of living free in the Western world in a certain space of privilege that not so long ago, women of my ancestry could not enjoy, or they did some level of that through servitude and possibly sexual subjugation and all manner of violence. I have to show up for that. So I think I've learned how to pay attention better, to be a better listener, and to, to understand that 
It's listening to every single voice that is not my own that is going to make my work better. But I can never come to a point where I feel like I've made it or the book has been successful in certain terms and then that's it. I have nothing more to learn. So I think the thing I've learned the most is how to be attentive and how to understand that that is its own deeply renewing practice and that you can't, you can't ever run away from darkness. I, I used to try to do that. Um, I used to think, I'm going to write this book and all the dark things are going to be excised, right? And I can rest and have some peace from it. And it hasn't worked that way. But you know what? I don't think I'm as afraid of the darkness in, in either myself or my work as I used to be. And that, that has to have something to do with paying attention to other voices and realizing that we are all deep in the well of our own darkness too. So if, if what we can do for each other is kind of extend a hand from that well, much like we're doing right now, you know, you and me, in this process of talking and sharing, and share that darkness, then I think light comes out of that space too. You just preached the whole sermon over here. I'm like, yes, yes, Lord, I receive it from <laughs> Saint Shivani, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> writing is definitely a gift. I do think that this is, you are divine to do this work and be able to use your words to cast spells to break generational curses to speak of the silence that happens of our ancestors and there's obviously stories that are revealed through our bodies through the times um when we sit down to pay attention as you mentioned and the process of being able to sit in that because i too <laughs> always just try to just be like oh I, the light the light the light but i had to realize like sitting with my shadow has allowed me to be ever present and understanding that really this year has helped me in my process of trying to understand what stories I'm trying to write. Can you describe a moment when your work exceeded your expectations? I think in writing and sharing the poems that would become the Red Thread Cycle, all seven of them, and I, I think if I'm honest, that part of the book felt like the most enigmatic but also most important to get right because the poems the poems in the red thread cycle were most keenly felt like the ones I needed to share in a way because they were speaking about the kind of thing the kind of sexual violence and surviving that violence that I had always understood was not to be spoken about whether that instruction came from a general societal understanding from the very sometimes very rigid education you would receive in a structured western-based school system from people in your external extended family who would tell you there are certain things that a good girl quote-unquote doesn't speak about and certainly should never write about and that you know writing about rape is not one of them all of that made me certain that those poems had to be communicated, no matter who I upset or offended. So the, the reception to those poems over the years has been, I mean, if I ever had any doubts that I was doing something wrong and too dangerous for myself, the way that those poems have met and found a home in other people who have needed them has completely dispelled those doubts and let me know that 
when I am most unsure or when I most think that the work is too dangerous, too hot to handle, too much bacchanal, you're going to offend too many people, then I know I have to write it. Uh, and I don't want to say consequences be down because there are always consequences. But I have found that my community of people who I both know and don't know, people who exist very much in Caribbean space and also internationally, people of mostly female identifying in genders, but sometimes not people who are on all rungs and ladders of, of the sexual identification, non-binary, those are my people. Those are the people I write this work for and in conversation with survivors of sexual trauma. I don't write it for the disapproving men who tell me, good girls don't do this. Um, so talk about exceeding expectations on all fronts. I, I far exceeded their expectations by completely ignoring them. And, and more importantly, I found a place that feels yes dangerous but also essential to write from and the way people have told me and shown me that that work resonates with them means i will always try to write from that place even as it evolves because it's not going to stay the same and my relationship tip will evolve my language with it will change but it was a real gift to receive that from so many in a time when i was so uncertain of myself and I will, I will always be grateful for that. I'm grateful that you aren't shying away from trying to, once again, conform. You're really staying true to yourself. And I think that is your power. That is the gift that you have been given. And obviously, you know, I hope to one day <laughs> stop trying to play so nice in my work. And really, you know, I'm really like dealing, dealing with that is like, really trying to write what hurts but it's so hard and i'm like oh i'm not ready yet but in the it's day hard. that i do come mm -hmm. it's hard i um i completely hear what you're saying and it's not so different from how i feel myself a lot of the time like i don't want to give the impression oh i've made it and now i can just do it <laughs> because it it increasingly boundaries like you run up against your own boundaries and you realize, oh, I thought I, have, I thought I had this under control. You mean I have to be braver than this? You mean I have to give more? And I'll be honest, sometimes it feels like that is beyond me. Sometimes it means that the work is frustrating and difficult and doesn't come in the way that I hope to. But I always go back to that place because the work still remains the work I have to do and want to do and need to. And most people who know me in my everyday life, I, I think they would agree that I'm a, often finding myself in the role of mediation, of being a peacemaker, of, and that's always been important to me in interpersonal relationships, of being kind um, or trying my best to be kind. So the work, is really the only place I allow myself to do whatever the hell I want to and need to. So, Because I decided early on, if I was going to spend so much time being, I don't want to say a people pleaser, but certainly I used to be. So that's part of my journey as well. I don't want to deny that. But 
kind and affable and helpful and diplomatic. The work absolutely didn't have room for that. That wasn't the work I was doing on the page. And I could do that in everyday life in a way that was satisfying and filled one need in me. But the poems, no, they absolutely had to draw the blood that they were going to draw and the tears and, and every other bodily fluid and take no prisoners. Because if I couldn't do it there, then I couldn't, I couldn't really be myself. Get me in check, Shivani. Let me, let me know what I need to do better, right? Show up in your work, Issa. Don't show up at all. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> Write your truth, y'all. Like, literally. And I thank you. Thank you for that word, you know, conviction that I have right now. It's not Sunday morning, but <laughs> it feels like this. Uh, my spirits are definitely lifted because it's just like definitely people pleaser, definitely trying to always say the right things, always trying to be like, you know, um censored in a way right and it's 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 very limiting you know because i cannot reach my full potential if i continue to do that to myself right and i won't be able to help others find their truth in their life you know not to say not to say i'm writing for other people but even if myself if i can't do that so i'm grateful that you and your work and your process allows yourself to really be truthful and which of your poems or pieces made you realize that you had found your voice as a writer i think and i hope this is not disappointing to people who really love the book but I feel, and maybe every writer would say some version of this, right? I feel like writing my first book was a great unlocking of myself. It was in craft terms, in subject matter, in voice, articulation, all of it. A, a true throwing open of the doors of myself to say, these are the things you literally thought you could never share with anyone that you've been writing in, in one way or another for, for five to 10 years before the publication of the book. And look, you did it. And they're out there with the world. Now imagine what more you can do. There's always this extraordinary gratitude I have to Haunting for being a torch bearing instrument for me into the great unknown. Because I think if I hadn't allowed myself the space that exists in all of those poems collectively. I wouldn't be writing what I am now, which, which to my mind feels more dangerous, more potentially offensive. I, I think I may always be in that business, to, to be honest with you. Not because I want to be cool or trendy or do it for the sake of clouds or to seem sexy but just because every day I wake up with the imperative of the work as a constant companion. Sometimes it's louder than others, but it's always there. So to answer that question, I think maybe it's two-parted. I think of the poems in the book, it's definitely that first poem in the red thread cycle on the third anniversary of the rape has done and meant so much to so many people. Like the impact of that has been extraordinarily powerful for me to receive as well as to write. Like that's a poem that I remember writing very clearly because it did not change fundamentally from its first incarnation. 
it felt as though it moved through me and I was an instrument for it. And in that way, it, it, it does that work that you speak of. And then the second part of the question is like maybe it's several other poems that I've written since then that have not yet been published, but are, are making their way into the body of a second collection. And we're excited to and looking forward to what's coming. But I know in the meantime, you have a poem to share with us today. That's right. So, so the thing about this poem is that it's written after Haunting. And it appears in an anthology edited by Natalie Diaz and Hannah Enzor called Bodies Built for Game, which is a contemporary anthology published by the University of Nebraska Press that, exam that examines bodies in sports writing, uh, which I think for a lot of people is surprising when they think of me, they don't think of the sports, but I have been for a considerable part of my life, someone who's had a very close relationship to athletics. And I think the assumptions people make about our human bodies when they don't look like what a conventional athlete should look like is a large part of what led me to this piece because I also write a great deal about fat identity, fat poetics and the politics of being in a body that has been deemed too big to exist in the world comfortably. And it's a big part of it comes from that place and also from well, everything we've been speaking about, actually, um, extraordinarily, about the need to speak unapologetically, even when you feel like you're most at risk. So the name of the poem is All the Flesh Singing. When I was 18, I licked the blood from my shins curled around myself. Brown, comma, woman of round breasts and tiffins steeped in curry. The white girls of track and field let me know they could smell me. I still ran through the sweat and shame of it. Joy was the muscle I stretched. Joy on the bitumen, joy in the spasm, joy in dal and rice and running. At 30, I twice outweigh myself who ran. I fold continental food with diasporas, tandoori lamb layered on basap shut, mutter paneer over Aji's roti swollen like a secret pregnancy. My father says I swallowed myself whole, devoured a lifetime of races. At night, I lace the brightest pink nikes and break into the Arima velodrome. Naked, I confound the moonlight with the sight of a fat woman running. I mastermind my flesh in nothing but brown skin and bad mind. Nothing 
nothing but folds rippling and muscling, all the food and fare in me, glorious samosas, green dal, seared cauliflower skulls, I rever, I promenade, I orchestrate the track with a body big enough to hold these 30 years of desserts and early onset diabetes. These widow whales of soul splitting from frame with each pound of flesh I have ransomed. Oh, how the running stitches it together, reunites me at the finish and start, chafe, hungry, the oxygen bloodying me, the whistle of my fresh joy, relentless. Yes, I'm like, <laughs> I love it. Your truth of your body, once again, when you mentioned just the running, I think of the running that we all kind of do of ourselves and we're mm -hmm. always in this race of just life or ways trying to catch up or fit in. And you're just like, no, there's joy in this body. This is an ode to yourself in defiance of what may seem is this athletic or perfect or whatever. And all of our bodies are perfect bodies and the fact that we are being, that's enough and that's all we need. Thank you for sharing this with me. You're so welcome. Thank you for that that reading of it. I love hearing that. It, it means a lot to me. Shivani, <laughs> how are you on your way? Oh, incredibly imperfectly, you know, um, striving in the darkness and learning every day a little bit more how not to be afraid of that. And... I'm on my way with fear and also trying to be friends with that fear because I know once I do that, I can do what I need to. That you are. You are on your way. You are striving in the darkness and you are bringing your own light. You are the light in your words and continue to just speak your truth and make space for yourself because as you do that, you're making plenty of room for all of us to be and allowing ourselves to come into our own truth. So I appreciate you. Tell the people where can they connect with you? Where can they buy your book? So you can get Everyone Knows I'm a Haunting on People Tree Press's website. And, and you can find so many other exceptional books there. Yes. People Tree Press have been, like they've long been the go-to people for Black, British, and Caribbean writing. And my own website is shivani-ramlochan.com and you can find links to other works there. I am right now in a Catapult stay-at-home residency that's sponsored by Catapult Arts Caribbean, Fresh Milk, Barbados, the American Friends of Jamaica, and Kingston Creative. And I'm yeah. using that name to work on the manuscript of a second book. So I will be posting publicly about that on all of my socials, which are yeah. at Oval Niche. Thank you, Shivani, once again, for sharing a little bit of your story. Thank you so much for having me. This has been incredible. Yes, I really I enjoyed it.
Everyone who's listening, remember, stay true to yourself. Find your ways to tell your story. And even if you got to sit in the dark a little bit longer, just remember that you are the light. Until next time, this is Isek Cosette. Y'all be blessed. Thank you.